Welcome Jesus podcast. to the podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Can we start that? Yes. What are we talking about today, Todd? Sanctification. Yes. Say more about that. About sanctification. Yes. It's great. It's 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 a major thing. All right. So let's back up. Sanctification. What <laughs> is what is it, Teddy? Divine sanctification. <laughs> yes, Teddy. Sanctification is the act of divine grace uh, by which God uh, God makes us holy. Uh, it's it's not something that we achieve. It's something we receive. And I think that's the beginning of the problems with most talk about sanctification is it's funny because I think um, most, I don't, I don't know if most Protestants, a lot of people at least get the idea that justification, justifying grace is not something we achieve. It's something we receive. But then as soon as we start talking about sanctification, we start thinking in terms of how we can become holy um, in, in a totally different way. And so this is why we've got to keep it in grace language and, and not shift over to works language. So we're launching into this new series at each campus called uh, Embracing Perfection. And we're diving into the Sermon on the Mount where uh, Jesus is going to ask us to do some things that seem really uncomfortable. He's going to begin to reframe the law and uh, make it not just about uh, your actions, but your inward disposition. Um, and so that's one reason we're doing it. And then another is we think this is um, one of the beauties of Wesleyan theology, right? Um, I was talking to a group the other night about, um, I think our, our greatest gift to the world is that we start with grace and so many other groups start with mercy. We start with what God has given us that we don't deserve, not that uh, we're avoiding what we do deserve. Um, and so w- what does it actually mean to to be a people who believe in sanctification and believe that this is a, a work of God's grace? And why is it important? Why would we talk about it? And uh, why is it the greatest gift of the world? Why, why are we spending an hour on this? Or several weeks on this, actually. Fair enough. Yeah, very much so. I think the for me the importance of sanctification is realizing that there are moments in our life that God's grace impacts us in ways. Um, sanctification is 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 at least one of three, probably a whole lot more than that, ways that that grace begins to impact us. I mean, we we talk about grace in a lot of ways preveniently sort of this grace that's always around us. It's the air we breathe. It's God at work, particularly when before we ever come to a realization that we have a need for God or that there is a God. And so this prevenient way that God works in situations and people and in our lives, and we can identify a ton of them. Then this act of, of, of grace that justifies us. There's this moment that we go from in, from out to in the kingdom and... Um, and that's this moment of justifying grace. Now, it doesn't necessarily, we don't have to know when that happens. I used to think that we had to exactly know when that happens. And some of the most beautiful um, witnesses that I know of are like, I've never known a moment without Jesus. And I'm like, that is amazing. But it doesn't stop. I mean, just because we know Jesus doesn't stop there. Right. It has to continue. And that's, in my mind, that's, that's the whole piece of sanctification, which is God's got more for us. Mm-hmm. And eternity starts. And all of a sudden now, it's what is God doing in our lives to bring the kingdom of heaven into our life right now? And it, it's continually using those gifts. So how does that actually look? 
because I think Teddy's given us the beautiful theological answer, right? It's the movement of God's grace in which we are made holy. Uh, so I'm picturing things like uh, uh, becoming a saint and having my own icon, right, if we're being made holy. But what does that actually look like for our everyday, ordinary, walking around, eating, sleeping, and drinking lives to be uh, to, to grow in sanctification? Most people are going to talk about behavior. They're going to talk about doing good things and not doing bad things. And those may be symptomatic. I think those are actually... Um, some of those come rather immediately. I mean, Wesley, Wesley would talk about uh, sin no longer reigning in our lives, that these strongholds over us, that if we really believe that uh, God's grace is, is greater than those, then, then those can be broken, and, uh, and, and that's a great celebration. There, there's also, though, I think, talk about desire, and I think... I, I think that's what we miss. We we mm-hmm. tend to talk about behavior instead of desires, mm-hmm. and uh, we, when not just Wesley, but when only the great pastors and theologians through our history have talked about sanctification, it, it's been a realigning of our desires that that our heart would be as God's heart. That totally changes the whole behavior thing too. Then, because when your heart is as God's heart there's no longer the same constant struggle about whether you would behave in line with God's will or not. Your heart's transformed in a way that that's the natural outflow. And, uh, and so I think it's a a total reorientation of, um, what we love, what we long for. Um, and what a, (laughs) what an amazing grace when you, when you talk about someone who's, whose loves have all shifted to what God loves. Mm-hmm. And so then, I mean, the what does it look like? I think it looks looks like someone who, who loves God with all their heart and soul and strength of mind and loves their neighbor as themselves. When we talk about this with our confirmation class, at least downtown, I'll ask them, how do you become perfect? And they, well, you can't, Carol, you can't be perfect. Um, and then we'll read the scripture that says, be perfect as I am perfect. And we'll talk about that. And and I think, I think that's exactly it. We have this society tells us, the world tells us perfection looks like this perfection. And I, and we struggled with our series title on how, what are we looking at? Embracing perfection. And, and what is that? If you just read that, what does that say to people? Um, but it's, it is that it's, it's the heart, it's the desiring. And I think, I know as I learned more, the idea of being perfect in love, how different that was than everything about me is perfect or every action I have it. But, um, but what that ends up being. And so with our compromands, as we, as we start to look at that, I think as, as we start, they just um, last week learned about prevenient grace. I mean, we've talked about these things, but we specifically spent a session on prevenient grace. And they played a game where they like played this zombie tag. And, and afterwards, I actually wasn't in class that day. And afterwards, my son, who's going through the class, said, Mom, I wasn't fully sure what the zombie tag had to do with it. And I said, well, essentially, before you know that grace, that grace that is given so freely... You're like a zombie walking around. I said, prevenient grace is at work, 
But you're, the, but the idea is you have not yet. It's the out before the in, right? That you mm-hmm. talked about, and so, and then this next week we're going to look at justifying grace, and then we're going to get to sanctifying grace, and so, it's. It's looking at all those and then being perfected in love mm. that our heart aligns with God's, that our thoughts are, I mean, yeah. So heart transformation is a different thing to think about than a behavior change mm-hmm. uh, and the willpower to make that happen. Uh, years before I came to seminary, I, I heard that one of the ordination questions was, uh, are you going to be? Uh, are you moving on to perfection? And the other one is, uh, do you expect to be made perfect in this life? And I went to my pastor like, surely this is a joke, right? <laughs> Nobody actually answers yes to this, and right? If you don't, then you don't. Get... <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Todd has answered yes, everybody. He just raised his hand. I did, uh, and people were shocked. Even like in yeah. groups, I talk about like, you know, we, we're comfortable already saying that grace is one of the methods distinctives. We think sanctification is one of our greatest gifts to the world. I am convinced I never heard about holiness or sanctification until I met Teddy Ray. I'm convinced of it. Now, surely my childhood pastors talked about it and I just missed it, right? I'm already aware, only having been in that role for six months, that people sometimes <laughs> miss what you say. No. <laughs> but no. Um, talk some about that. What's your experience having heard about holiness, grown up for it, misconceptions about it, uh, and, and where you are in uh, uh, your heart around holiness? Not necessarily how, how sanctified are you, but... Uh, what's God doing and working in us? Yeah, I, the words I believe have been co-opted and they have been completely um, misconstrued. And I think that that that's the beginning of what we really are hoping to do through the series is mm-hmm. let's reclaim some of this because it's great language and the words have great meaning, but we've allowed them to be. To come to a different meaning, I think for for most of us, when we say holiness or sanctification, somehow we think there that's like this a judgmental, condemning, or I'm better than you, therefore I look down upon you, and and nothing could be further from the truth. And and I think that that stops a lot of people from even pursuing holiness or thinking that something that could be for them because it's like I don't want to be that person, and yet when you begin to realize that that it's not this I'm better than you, but that it is this gift of God that is beginning to transform me, heart, mind, soul, motives, actions. I like to define sanctification as becoming more and more like Christ. And and I think God does that for us. It's not something that we do, but it, God does that for us. I think Jesus does a lot of things for us. He, as the second person of the Trinity, has lived a life before us as this example of what does it look like to love our neighbors, and and you can you can see the tangible things that he did, and those sorts of things we can we know that's what we're called to as well. So many of those looking not like what people would throw out as holiness, right? Uh, hanging out with the sinners and, and meeting right. people exactly where they are is not the stereotype right of the perfect Christian. Correct. But in many ways, it's the embodied gospel that Christ taught us as a great moral example, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if all we're doing is checking off boxes that are supposed to make us more holy, well, I did this. I prayed my prayers today. I was kind to that person. I whatever. If we're just checking off boxes, it's it's our actions. It's not our whole being. It's not, I mean, we're not living into holiness then. And I mean, I think you asked how it's been 
maybe a personal thing. I think sometimes we don't even realize um, how we're going on until you're in the middle of something that you would have handled very differently before. Um, I've said for years, my mouth gets me in trouble. <laughs> um, it has, it does. Um, no. Never. Because <laughs> um, I just say what pops in my mind. Or <laughs> it's never gotten any of us in trouble either. But. <laughs> um, but I also think, like, I've been very grateful in moments where I can look back and go, years ago, I would have responded very differently in this moment than today. And that's not a pat me on the back, good job, Carol, but it's a, the Holy Spirit's working within me and helping me see that my words matter, my actions matter, um, and the way I treat that person in love or not matters. And so I think for me, that's, that's part of the going on to perfection, going the gift that God has given me through sanctifying grace. So I think Carol started to hit at something, and it's even in the question, are you moving towards perfection? Teddy, can you talk a little bit about this idea of sanctification as process, not as necessarily uh, a fixed moment in time? Yeah, there there are a few pieces to it, too. So we talk about progressive sanctification, and we talk about even this entire sanctification, this this full purification. And, and there's also talk about Christian perfection, which is uh, the, the piece that says God rather instantly enables us, uh, empowers us over sin, and that we shouldn't expect that, it, uh, that we must struggle over the next 30 years to stop just being a bad person, <laughs> a mean person, mm-hmm. if you will. The, so Wesley talked about sin reigning and sin remaining, and, and he talked about the sin reigning, really. That, that's put to an end at our new birth. Uh, when we receive the Holy Spirit, sin no longer reigns because the Spirit has greater power. Sin remaining, then he talked about in terms of uh, these things that... Per, that, that persist in our lives that um, would not reign as as in they uh, we just can't help ourselves, but that remain in ways that I mean Carol, you talk about it the I look back at something I just did and recognize just how selfish it was, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a conscious it wasn't a willful decision to disobey God's command. and it was like I just couldn't help myself and so I did it anyways, but th- then on on looking at it after the fact, we say, "No, oh, that's uh, that is a sign yeah. that my heart has not fully turned uh, toward just the desires uh, that God has." Um, and and Wesley would talk about uh, even the hope of entire sanctification that that we would hit a point that sin would no longer even remain. Uh, but but there's this gradual process of uh, being able to reflect the light of God more and more in our lives, if that makes sense. Yeah, for, for me, that I think the process, I, for me to begin to envision it in my own life, 
I always refer back to see Carol's coffee mug there. And uh, the, the I, and not that I love Ruth Bader Ginsburg as much as the next person. Um, not that you do. Not, not that I do. <laughs> okay. That I do. Yeah. 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 I mean, what's not to you know? She's, she's anyway. Victorious RBG. Exactly. But but it, in my mind, we are all these empty vessels that get filled by one thing or the other. I mean, we're either filling it with our selfish desires or our sinful nature or whatever. Sanctification, in my mind, it begins to allow God to fill us more and more until such point that we're completely filled with God's love. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we're, try- we're trying to not do bad. It's like there's no room for anything else but God's love. And once I reach that point or a person reaches that point, I feel like that is perfection. I think that that's what that's really what we're talking about is how do we get our how do we get so filled with God's love there's no room for anything else mm-hmm. and then you're not worried about what you're doing it's you just would naturally do that the the issue then is as well that things dissipate so they evaporate so we have to continually fill you know that that or God has to continually we have to allow God's grace to continually fill and I think that's where the process really becomes this. You never arrive there. You never just stay there. It's it's not a point that we're like, hey, we're just going to try to get to and coast. It is uh, just ever-growing thing in our lives that God does for us. Yeah, sometimes the language used is uh, staying in love with God. Mm-hmm. And you, David is an example that's used where you you see David end up in, I mean, murder and adultery. Uh, that 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 didn't start out of nowhere. You see all the signs leading up to it that this man who's after God's own heart, this man with a perfect heart, begins already to take these smaller steps away uh, from from what you would see as the desires of God's heart. And this is naturally where we go. C.S. Lewis, I love how he talks about... Uh, if we're eternal beings, this is a progression that's not just maybe an 80-year mm-hmm. progression, but like what, what if it's an 80 billion years progression? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. wh- what does that change? When someone who just gets a little angrier over the course of their 80-year life, that's one thing. But what if they get a little angrier over the course of 80 billion years? You know, that's, then they just become anger. Like that's it. It's fully consumed them. And so this, like what, what is that trajectory of, of growth in our lives? What's filling and what's not? Uh, like the language of tra- trajectory, I had a group ask me about it. We were trying to draw it on the whiteboard, the the journey of sanctification, and you know, I wanted to draw just a nice uh, exponential curve, right? You you start at some level and you just keep going up till you're sanctified. But I had to recognize that there was almost some like amplitude to this line. That there's moments mm-hmm. where you uh, seem to be moving more quickly towards uh, perfection, and moments that you almost seem like you're pulling back. Uh, David Bauer really pushed us in Hebrews to think about this idea that if you aren't moving forward, you are moving backwards. Mm. Um, I think it's fitting when we're using this Year with Jesus book to talk about uh, Lectio Divina and encouraging the means of grace to talk about how the means of grace uh, enable uh, uh, God to do God's work in, in sanctifying us. What would y'all say towards that end? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I mean, so I, I, yeah, I don't think I'd ever heard of holiness 
but I'd heard of all these things that you're supposed to do uh, to to be good enough for God. Hmm. And so that was my framing my whole life of you have to read the Bible to be good enough. You have to pray to be good enough. You have to do these things to be good enough and not have enough bad behaviors to avoid hell, right? Hmm. Um, but having had those reframed for me as, okay, these certain set of behaviors are the means of God's grace being poured out in the everyday, ordinary parts of our lives. It's not something to do devoid hell, it's, it's a thing to do to encounter God mm-hmm. uh, that then transforms our behaviors that are an outpouring of God's work in us, not us trying to earn anything. Um, Holly Mattingly keeps calling me back to, just tell everybody to do the means of grace. Just tell them to do the means of grace. And, and what's the answer to this problem? Means of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the end. And, and I think... I know. That's why it's called a means. A means, right. right. But I, so maybe this is Carol's Confession podcast. Um, reading in Celebration of Discipline this last week, and it, it was talking about, um, or Foster was talking about, I'm going to have to paraphrase, and I know I won't get it right, but th- th- there comes a point where you've lived in the means of grace that they they start to permeate your actions what how you think how you i think it's it's like you talked about todd that vessel that you're being filled and so it starts to flow from you but and and i think i've lived in that for a while like there were periods in my life where i was great at deep prayer or i was great at reading and i think i've lived off of that for too long. And so Sunday evening, Todd asked us after a moment of silence to give one word on how is it with your soul? And I said longing because I think, not because I know that I have been being urged from the Holy Spirit saying, you can't just live off the past of where you've been in the means of grace. You have to be actively living in them now too. And so, and, you know, and I mean, last night I, I said to my small group, I need some thoughts on, on how to make this more of a regular part of my life again, because I said, I believe and preach and say, be in the means of grace. These are an avenue to your relationship with Christ, with the triune God. This, these are, and yet, what am I doing? And so... For me, this intentional reading of Scripture, this in, intentional, that I think that's the word, and we talked about that a lot last night with my small group, that it needs to be some intentionality with it, not just, I'm great at breath prayers, I'm great at here and there, but like, oh, I need to sit down and spend time with God. So you've used the word need a couple times, but what I actually hear is a hungering and thirsting for yes, righteousness. Right, absolutely. And so uh, a desire to avail yourself of the means of grace out of guilt versus uh, God actually moving in a graceful way to, to make us happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, mm-hmm. right? Uh, th- I mean, that's the, actually the desire. Like, if you leave these means of grace behind enough to feel this, okay, I'm missing something with God, not a I'm going to burn in hell because I didn't do this. Right, and and I think that's that's the difference mm-hmm. In, in this longing is, I feel it's God urging me, God's grace pouring out on me and saying, I'm still here, <laughs> come commune with me, versus this, oh gosh, I failed again. And, and what, once you 
once you have that experience of God's grace in that way, when when we do have those periods that where it's not the straight line up, when there are these steps back, and the, whether the dry periods or anything else, it is this hunger that drives us forward, yeah. and it's not this, I should, it's, oh, how I miss it. Yes. How I miss it. I, the first year after Andover started, so a couple years into ministry, Andover starts, things are going really well, and I took a whole year that could not pray, could not read scripture. I mean, it was just, I sat down to pray. I, I literally could not. And the first week or two, it was like, huh, this is odd. First month or two, I'm like, this isn't good. By the sixth month, I thought, I'm not going to make it too much longer because this, I, I, you could just, I could just feel myself drying up. Mm. And at the, it, it, I don't know if it was exactly a year or what it was, but all of a sudden that was gone. It was like this fog lifted. But it wasn't this guilt that I had of, oh, I, I need to be doing It's like, I so want that in my life. And it's been, it's been that step back that I think has propelled the next few years that have just been just a sweet time of, mm. of I long to get up in the morning because I'm like, this is time I get to spend with my Lord and there's, no, there, there's not a better spot. And um, and I, I long for everybody to have that sort of experience. So, two questions. Um, first, who's uh, availing themselves of the means of grace looks exactly the same as it did ten years ago, and whose looks exactly the same as it did a, a month ago? Pretty close. Pretty close. Okay, mm-hmm. a year ago. I think so. Okay. Ten years now. You're systematic. <laughs> You've grown more systematic. Okay. Well, Teddy, I almost messed up my answer, but I'm still going for it. Uh, two I, things. I, I, mine doesn't look the same that it did last week. Right. Mine either. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, we talk in terms of answering the soul questions of the primary means of grace being scripture reading, prayer, worship sacraments, and fasting. But those are some pretty big categories. I mean, we even talked about it last podcast about the different ways you can pray, the different ways you can read scripture. Um, these these people who study spiritual formation have these spiritual formation handbooks that's uh, really 10 different ways of reading scripture, 10 different ways of praying, ways to engage the sacrament, like these different things, um, especially tied to our kind of spiritual season. Um, and so I'm imagining you're actually going to need to engage spiritual disciplines differently than uh, maybe the way you were. Right, Carol? Right. Um, yeah. and, and so that's kind of some of the work you know, a trusted spiritual friend, a uh, your pastor, a spiritual director can actually help you um, enter into that season. You know, I, I've been, uh, I know God kind of pulled you out of that year after Andover, but I wonder, you know, what would a spiritual director have said, hey, Todd, if you're really struggling in these ways, maybe what if we did this? I, w- I was in a season where I was, after mom died, I couldn't pray extemporaneously. So it was all, let's dive into the Puritan, uh, the Puritan prayer books. Let's mm-hmm. look at the Moravian prayer books. Let's look at the Book of Common Prayer. Because uh, in this moment, I can, I can, See these words, and actually, I can affirm them, but I'm, they're not coming to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm in seasons where it's much more, uh, I, I'm uh, wanting to capture what's happening in my heart, and it's the stuff that's coming out of me. Um, and so um, some of that has been fed by other people. Felsch has been great for me of, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Uh, what's the role of other people in uh, the means of grace and the process of sanctification for y'all? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I felt like I rambled, but 
No, got good. where I wanted to it go. Was good. Yeah. So one of the big means of grace in the early Wesleyan circles was called Christian conferencing, which was not going to conferences. Annual conference. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't no going. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, it, what it was was sitting with a group of people hmm. over and over, week after week, and sharing about the state of your soul. And so that that has been the single biggest kind of overriding means of grace in my life, that and, and corporate worship over the last 10 years now. Met with a few different groups of people. And, and the funny thing is, I left my group two weeks ago. Somebody said, this is so good. I need to fight harder to keep the space on my calendar for this. Because we, we have it at kind of an odd time right now. And we're, our attendance is maybe like 60%. It is super spotty. But it's usually really good. And, uh, and I told them, I said, you know, I'm 10 years into this. About half the time I don't want to show up still. I just, I have other things I'd like to do. I don't really want to come and do the work uh, of sharing where I am. Um, but I leave about 80% of the time going, hmm. this is so good. And I've, I've just recognized that about myself. There are a bunch of things that I, for some reason, have a natural inclination to not want to show up at. But if I'll show up anyways, 80% of the time, it was, it was worth it. And 20% of the time, you went through the motions. And sometimes we just go through the motions for the sake of getting there again next week Absolutely. when it might be great. Yeah. And God did something even in those 20% of the time. Yeah, yeah, I so. What's community like for, for you two in terms of your process of sanctification? I mean, for me, I think it's essential. I long to be with people. So if I didn't have um, the interactions with fellow believers on this path, think I would be in a very different space. So um, whether it's been in Oklahoma, I met with a group of women where we read books and discussed them and lifted each other in prayer. And, and that group is now meeting yearly. We've all moved away, not all of us, but most of us have moved away. So there's, you know, somebody in North Carolina, somebody in Philadelphia, somebody in Texas. And so we come back together somewhere. This year I didn't get to go, but they FaceTimed me in for an evening just so I could have that interaction. And, and you know, texts go out and how can we be praying for one another? Um, we have just named my the women's small group I'm in, we have just named that this last year was hard for us meeting, but we believe it is so important that, okay, it was hard. We've got some, some ground that we need to make up and, and draw closer together. But every one of us have said that is at the top of our importance. And so no matter how tired we are, (laughs) no matter what's going on, we are doing what we can to make sure we are meeting. And, and I would say, I mean, just instantly last night when I said, Hey y'all, I need some, some help in this just to hear their response and willingness to say, we're going to walk with you. 
we're going to give you ideas. We're going to practice them with you. Um, made it the difference for me to say, yeah, this is important. Um, and so I think, I think it's, it's that ability to be known and to know others so deeply that they can look at me and say, something's, something's not right. What's going on in your life? How can we walk through this with you? Or, um, or vice versa, that, that there's just, there's the need for community, the need for relationship. I keep using the word need, but it is that for me. It's, it it is as much needed as the air I breathe. Mm -hmm. And so if, if I don't have that, if I don't have those relationships, I think it affects then how I am as an individual. It affects how I am as a wife, as a mother, as a pastor. And, and because of those relationships in the means of grace, those relationships that urge me um, to draw unto Christ, I become better at everything else. Mm-hmm. And that's an important qualifier there, the relationships that urge you to mm-hmm. draw toward mm-hmm. Christ. Sometimes people, people talk about the most important thing about a church being its fellowship. And, and sometimes I think they mean that the way you just said it. And, and sometimes we just mean, hey, it's a great place for friends, and if I could find them just as easily at a country club, I'd go there. Right. And and there's a, a crucial difference here, because if if they're helping us draw toward Christ, we really believe that a lot of the other things begin to to fall into place. But this is a spiritual friendship that um, yeah that's centrally about grace and truth, right? It is. Heard a lot of chapel sermons at Asbury and have forgotten most of the chapel sermons at Asbury. Uh, but Tim Tennant's first sermon, uh, he, he talked about how God can justify you on a desert island, but probably can't sanctify you on a desert island, mm. and has stuck with me uh, since then. And it, I think for me, it's uh, the church is the primary place of sanctification. And um, you know, this discipleship intensive we do uh, really started about head things, right? We're going to teach this and learn this. Mm-hmm. And some of the most beautiful parts have been examining our souls together each week and uh, coming there. And I, 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 that's the long view for me is looking back and going, man, just what that group has done um, in what, four years now, um, five years, somewhere in there five years, yeah. um, of just that pattern of uh, even with a different group of people, right? It's not, uh, it can be this group who endures for 20 years or it can be a new group every six months. But um, the importance of not being stuck alone in this journey yeah. I, I like to think of of Jesus's own relationships and as as what God used to continually fill him and to put him in the places he needed to be and 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 the ability. I mean, he had he had a one on one relationship with God the Father. I mean that that's obvious, and we see that he withdraws and prays and had this unbelievable connection. He had a relationship with a, a group of three. And and those were some of the most intimate moments that he had, um, whether it's a transfiguration or Garden of Gethsemane. He's got those three that are around him, and they seem to have a different level of relationship. He had a relationship with the 12, which which was important to him. They did life together from you know morning, noon, and night. 
And then he had a relationship with the crowd, so the 70. And, and I think all those are incredibly important. For me, the three is, the, is probably my weakest link. The one, I feel like that, that is a natural for me because I'm more of an introvert. So being alone by myself, Bible, God, really good. The 12, um, in terms of small groups that are, are, um, are a little bit larger than the three, so it's not so intimate and personal. And the 70, I'm, I, I, I mean, that, that just fills me like nothing else, worship um, and just the experience with larger. It's, but it's that three that, for me, is, is the real, the, the point that I know that in my own journey is, is missing. And um, not to be confession time, but, I, I mean, I think that's, that's really important that we find all those because they all have a distinct place yeah. that God uses in our lives. So what do you do for that when you recognize <laughs> this is the missing piece? Yeah. At this point, my heart hasn't caught up to my head. Huh. Yeah. So my head says, I really need this. My heart's like, ah, <laughs> you're good. You got, you got a few people around you um, that, that I do share you know, life with. And, and I, it's not like I'm... Don't share on that level, but it but it's not been this regular ten year journey. I wouldn't say that I have I have that you know as part of my own and so yeah. Oh well, man, you're just knocking me over, and making me want to cry. Because earlier Teddy said a friend of ours, Jason Jackson, is coming back in town, and I nearly started crying, and I can't figure out why. And now it struck me because for five years, every week I met with him and Jason Myers and Cameron Bibb, and we mm. talked about our souls uh, and. The two Jasons moved away, and Cameron and I have had like a baker's dozen of kids between the two of us, and that part of my life is is missing as well. Um, and, Sorry, you're going to make me cry too. <laughs> I'm not crying. It, it was on the verge of the podcast, <laughs> so just... Community is important. Absolutely. And it's not just the community of us and God, which is absolutely central, but it's the community uh, of the church, uh, the, the desert fathers and mothers uh, realized pretty quickly that they thought uh, that if they escaped and were hermits, that they would avoid sin, that that would solve all their problems. And they quickly realized that even left alone with themselves, uh, they couldn't uh, be sanctified by themselves. Uh, and so um, we're excited about this series. We're excited about where um, uh, God is leading us and leading us as a church. Uh, you know, Carol's giving you some great resources for Lectio Divina, that reading we talked about last time, a divine reading of Scripture. We're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, just this incredible chance to engage with um, the way Christ is reframing the whole of Israel's story and what it means to be God's people. Uh, There's resources in your book. Your pastor would love to talk to you if you have any more questions. Uh, We're always looking for new covenant groups to start, looking for ways for you to be in community with other people. Um, So don't go on this journey alone. Don't uh, feel like you have to work out your own salvation uh, let's allow God to do God's work and then allow the community to come uh, surround you. Uh, we'll do this again in like four weeks. Thank you all.